Are you, are you ready for the times we're getting into? Yeah, it's a time of preparation. It's a season the Father has us in. Self-reflection. Guys, we've got to take a look at the things in, in our hearts, and we must prepare ourselves for what the Father is laying ahead of us. You know, if we're ready for Him to speak to us, then we may just actually hear what He's saying. See, that's the thing. He, he's always there. He's always telling us things. He's always showing us His Word. But are we hearing it? Are we listening? So sometimes we have to just kind of focus and put other things aside and just listen to them. And that's one of these things in the Moedim when we're coming into these, these times. Remember the rehearsals? Uh, we're not going to get it perfect. We're not going to get it exactly right. But they are rehearsals, and there is a purpose to them. And we've talked before about how it goes beyond uh, prophetic implications. Okay? Uh, and we've talked about this before, and just to bring it back up, we know that the spring Moedim, you know, Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread, all that, the Shavuot, all these things is, is what we saw Yeshua do when he came. But then the fall Moedim testify of when he returns, testify of what's going on when he comes back. And so we're not going to get in so much of that today because, you know, we know that. We covered some of that actually last week as well when we talked about Yom Teruah. So this week we're going to talk about Yom HaKippurim. Now we have Yom Kippur is what it's uh, normally called, but literally in the scripture it's called Yom HaKippurim. So what's the difference? Yom Kippur is Day of Atonement. And if you read through it, it says Day of Atonement, literally. So one is plural. Yom HaKippurim is plural for atonement. It's atonements. Which kind of leads us to this. We know that the Day of Atonement, Aaron goes into the most holy place, right? And we're, and we're traditionally taught he does this, you know, one, one time out of the whole year he's allowed in there. But it's not really one time he's allowed in there. It's one day he's allowed in there. Because when we read through the scripture, we see he went back and forth in and out of there multiple times on that day. Now, not outside of that day, but on that day, he went in back and forth. And when he provided atonement, we think atonement means forgiveness. And it, it doesn't really. Now, there, it's involved in that, but it doesn't just really mean that. Okay, so uh, hopefully we're going to look at a few things today. We're going to see a few things we may or may not have known. If you've known this, great. Keep moving in. And if not, then let's just kind of see where the Father is leading us, right? Okay, so here we go. Yom HaKippurim, Yom Kippur. In Leviticus 23, where we talk about the Moedim, we're going to go down to the, por to the portion that it speaks of Yom Kippur. It's verses uh, 26 to 32. And it says, Adonai said to Moshe, on the tenth day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur. You are to have a holy convocation. You are to deny yourselves. And you are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. You are not to do any kind of work on that day because it is Yom Kippur to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. Anyone who does not deny himself on that day is to be cut off from his people. We're seeing a few things where we're actually given instruction for this day, right? Some of these things apply to us, and some of these things apply to the high priest, but we are showing some things here that do apply. They're speaking to Israel. Verse 30, And anyone who does any kind of work on that day, I will destroy from among his people. You are not to do any kind of work. That is a permanent regulation through all your generations, no matter where you live. Don't you love it when he says stuff like that? It's a permanent regulation through all your generations. It doesn't matter if you're in the land or not. You know? It says it will be for you a Shabbat of complete rest. And so how many times did he say don't work? Rest. Don't work. Rest. Don't work. All right. And you are to deny yourself. So what does that mean? Well, we'll cover that. Okay? Traditionally, Yom Kippur is a fast. So what are you doing? You're fasting. And then what? You're fasting. And what do you do after that? You fast a little more. <laughs> we'll cover that. 
So you are to rest on your Shabbat from the evening of the ninth day of the month till the following evening. So again, we're starting in the evening and we're going through to the following evening, right? All right. The word Yom Kippur, the word Kippur is from the word Kafar. Kafar, which means to cover. Now, this is the same word that's related to like Noah, when he, he had the ark and then he covered the wood with pitch, some translations say. The word pitch is, is to cover is the same word that's used here. It's he covered it. Well, did he make atonement for it? No, he covered it. And that just kind of gives us a good, better idea of what the word means. Okay? It's to cover. And to make an atonement is to cover something as being covered. It doesn't necessarily mean it's erased. It means it's, it's because erased means it goes away. It doesn't mean it's necessarily gone away. It means it's covered. But what's the difference? See, this is one of the things that we're talking about. It, it can be included in forgiveness, but atonement isn't necessarily to forgive. To forgive, and we, we know that uh, Scripture says he will wipe away your sin. That's awesome. But then he also provides atonement. There's a covering. And we need both really. But what we have here is for Israel, they had to provide a cover for them. Why? Because though, we'll cover this in a second, which I know I'm, I'm kind of setting up a lot of things, but we'll get to it all. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today, guys, so I'm going to kind of, I want to keep you longer than, than we are normally here, but be ready. So we are, we are looking at our hearts to make sure we are surrendering ourselves to be covered. So, and, and to, in order to be forgiven, you have to put yourself in a place where you ask for forgiveness. Now, we see that in Scripture, right? For forgiveness to be granted, you ask for it. And it's there, but we have to ask for it. And that means that we change things in our life as well. Now, do we come to the Father and do we ask for forgiveness from Him, but not ask for forgiveness from our brothers and sisters whom we have harmed? No, because we kind of look at other things as well, like Yeshua saying, if you forgive those he trespassed against you, right? So what happens if we don't forgive? What happens if we're resentful and bitterness and not forgiving? Then we're in danger of not being forgiven. Now, I'm not the judge of that. So I'm not the one to tell you, yeah, you're there or not. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's Scripture. Okay, So it is something for us to keep, to keep a look at and make sure that our hearts are right before the Father. right? And to have our heart right before the Father, we also have to make sure we are, have a good relationship with one another. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not, but at least we have a working relationship as family, right? Okay, so atonement is not just for sin. We kind of started on that a little bit. Atonement is not just for sin. It can include sin, but atonement was also for uncleanness because Israel, let's face it, when they were in the, in the, in the camp, were, it was important to be clean. They were unclean, not just unclean, but there was unclean and then contaminating, right? Then it, uncleanness spread. So what we have here, to be unclean, meant you couldn't go to the tabernacle. Why? Because we could not defile the sanctuary. Someone was unclean, they were put outside the camp until a time that they were clean. So why is that important? Because Scripture says if they defile my sanctuary that is in their midst, then that's like a, that's like a oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a penalty of death? You don't defile what God said is holy. And so he says that the, us, we are to be a people that are clean. He makes us clean. See, that's the thing. We can't make ourselves clean. We can't make ourselves holy. But yet, he is the one that cleanses us. He is the one that makes us holy. He is the one that sets us apart. And then he says, don't defile yourselves. See? So it's not like we're trying to be more holier than the next person. Only God can make you holy. 
But here we're told, don't defile yourselves. So this is the things that we need to pay attention to, things we need to look at. All right? Leviticus 16, 16 says, He shall make atonement for the holy place because of why? Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So uncleanness, how many of you know that not all uncleanness is sin? Here's an example. If someone touched a dead body, they became unclean. Did they sin in doing so? Not unless they were involved in it. Well, never mind. But <laughs> did they become unclean in touching? No. Okay. So here, because of uncleanness, atonement needed to be provided. And so that's just one example of, of many that you could make. All right? So uncleanness includes sin, but it is not limited to sin. So there needs to be a cover. There needs to be an atonement that is provided. So because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of the transgressions in their sins. Both of these things. Uncleanness and sin is what it shows the need for atonement. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains in the midst of their, their uncleanness. If you read, start reading through Leviticus chapter 16, you find atonement is made not just for Aaron. Atonement is not just made for Israel or the Leviim. It's also made for the tabernacle. He provides atonement for multiple things. And so if atonement just means forgiveness of sin, answer me this. How did the tabernacle sin? It didn't. So cover. There's a cover that is provided because of uncleanness, right? Think about this. In the tabernacle, there's offerings. There was animals. There was a shedding of blood. They were put on the altar. There's all these things were going on. And we know that when blood hits the ground, it's unclean. But the blood wasn't meant to be just poured on the ground. The blood was meant to be put on the altar, which I'll show you that. So uncleanness keeps us from the presence of God, right? Uncleanness can keep us from him. So it's not just sin. It's unclean. If they were unclean, they were outside the camp, and they had to wait till a period of time when they were clean, they could come back inside the camp. If they come back inside the camp, then they could go worship, fellowship. That's what we're looking at, okay? So if you were isolated, you were unclean, and you were outside, the period of time to come in. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes there was repentance needed to come back inside the camp. Sometimes it was just a matter of you got an infection. That was part of the priest's responsibilities. That was part of the responsibilities of, of, uh, of the ones who were to examine for Zaras and, and what we would call leprosy, but we know that biblical leprosy is not Hansen's disease. It can include that, but it's not limited to that. Because biblically speaking, leprosy just means a skin affliction, which means any kind of something that's spreading on the skin. Okay? So that, that's a lot. <laughs> so if it's anything that can cause contamination is what we're looking at. All right. All right. Leviticus 14, 19, we look at the, the things for cleansing of a leper. And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. Here, if someone, now, now look at this. The priest did not make someone who had contracted leprosy and had become clean. The priest did not make him clean. He made the proper offerings to declare him clean. See, none could make someone clean. That's why it was such a big deal when Yeshua was here. Because who can make the unclean clean? See, that's why someone was, was put outside the camp. So it would be time alone with them and Yah. You know? And then the priest would examine and then declare him clean. And then there would be appropriate offerings that would go with that. And again, it's a providing of atonement. Leviticus 15.30. The cleansing of the woman with an unnatural flow of blood. What does this bring to mind for you? The woman who touched Yeshua, the hem of his garment? Yeah. So, and the priest shall offer one for a sin offering, the other for a burn offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the issue of uncleanness. So again, 
because of uncleanness, atonement was needed. Now, it was provided once a year for all these other things, but in situations like this, we see that throughout the year, it could be provided as well. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Yeshua, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Don't forget, guys, Yeshua didn't just come for forgiveness. He came for cleansing. He came to cleanse and atone. He came to forgive and to, and to provide a cover for us. And notice this, too. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? Who? One another. See, we like to, we like to stick on the part where we have fellowship with him because sometimes we don't like each other. I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> You know, it's like, well, why did he look at me when he said that? You know, kind of, I'm not looking at anybody. I don't mean that, okay? But it's that sometimes we have to learn to get along with one another because what do you do in a family? Let's face it. What do you do in a family? You don't always agree. Sometimes it's a little harder to get along. We're a family, okay? We're in covenant. We're in family. So we need to learn to have fellowship one with another. So if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's dangerous, isn't it? We say, oh, no, I've never sinned. <laughs> we know better, right? Verse 9. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Notice, not just forgiveness, but cleansing. I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse, right? I want to make sure you get that point. Not just for forgiveness of sins, but also for covering for uncleanness. So back to Leviticus 23, verse 28 and 29. You are not to do any kind of work on that day because it is Yom Kippur to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. Picture this. There is no way you can say, my sins are forgiven me because on Yom Kippur I fasted and prayed just right. No. There is no work you can do to provide atonement for you. None. That's why it's emphasized and stressed that you don't do any kind of work on that day because it is not by the work of your hands this is happening for you. Okay? Much like when Yeshua came, what part did you have in that? Okay? It is something that he provides for you. All right? So we must rest and acknowledge that fact. There is nothing we can do here. He has to do it all. But in that, we learn to deny ourselves. What did Yeshua say? The man deny himself, take up his cross, hold me, that kind of a thing. What does it mean to deny yourself? We'll cover that in a minute. So you cannot uh, atone for yourself. Anyone who does not deny himself, verse 29, for that day is to be cut off from his people. Now, what, what it just says deny yourself. Why do they say it's a fasting? You know, like a complete fast. Why is it a fast, a fast day? Because to deny yourself, the word deny is the word anah in the Hebrew. It means to afflict, to afflict, to, to press down, to deal hardly with something, to weaken something, to submit to something, Okay. So we are pushing down, we are, we are inflicting, afflicting what? Nefesh is the word that's used there. Nefesh is sometimes translated as soul, but it means any appetite, any desire, any pleasure, anything, any, any appetite that we have. We are to afflict our appetite. We are to afflict our desires. We are to afflict our pleasures. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? So this is why it is a fast day. Okay. Leviticus 23.31 says, You shall do no manner of work. It is a statute for how long? Forever. Throughout your generations and in all your dwellings. It's kind of like one after the other, just to make sure we get the point, right? And it shall be a Shabbat of solemn rest for you, and you shall do what? Deny yourselves. 
And the ninth day of the month, at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Shabbat. So this is a time of giving, and it is a Shabbat other than the weekly Shabbat. Yom Kippur service is found in Leviticus chapter 16. We'll cover more of that in a minute. But the Hebrew book for the name of Leviticus, the Hebrew name is Vayikra. So what's the difference? We've talked about in the past that what you call something affects how you approach it. So if we call it Leviticus, we often approach that as, as saying, so these are rules and things that pertain to the Levites. I'm not a Levite, I'm skipping it. But yet, in this book, we find a holy God who is calling apart a holy people. Well, why do we want to miss that? The Hebrew name is Vayikra, and he called. We find the beginning of this book, the Father is calling out to his people to show them, because he is a holy God, how to approach, how to come near to him, and how to be a set-apart holy people that he has called us to be. So the book of Leviticus talks about holiness, and it's all through it. In the blood. Life is where? In the blood. The life is not in the flesh, the life is in the blood. And this is what we find. This is one of the reasons why it's given that you don't eat blood. Because the life is in the blood, right? Deuteronomy 12, 23. Be sure you don't eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the flesh. John 6, 53, Yeshua says, uh, except you, you eat the flesh of the Son of God, drink his blood, you have no life in you, because the blood is life. John 6, 54, whoso eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Genesis 9, 4 and 5, the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood, you shall not eat. So again, don't eat the blood. Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you to do what? I have given it to you, where? On the altar, for what purpose? To make atonement for your souls, because it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Because life is in the blood. You can't make atonement, provide a covering for something just because of death. Well, then why did Yeshua have to die? Because the life is in the blood. You gotta get the, that, that, that life has to go forth. Leviticus 17, 14. For it is the life of all flesh, of the blood is the life thereof. There are said to the children, you shall eat no manner of blood, or you shall not eat the blood with no manner of flesh. Again, life is in the blood. I know, kind of repeating. But you've got to see this is in more than one place. Because it was important that the blood be used to go to the altar. Because if it was just poured out on the ground, it wasn't, it wasn't doing its purpose. It had to go to the altar to make atonement. That's why we hear of Yeshua and, and made atonement by his blood. So what we read that he went up into the, into the heavenlies, not made with human hands, and he placed his blood. Why? Because the blood is the life. So the lifeblood had a specific purpose, and that purpose was to provide atonement. Okay? And it was to go on the altar to make atonement. Then we find that he says he is the God of the living, not the dead. So again... Life is what the Father is after. It's not a matter of he wanted the sacrificial system because he was mad and angry and something had to die. He was showing us how a life can be presented in his presence. And sometimes that involves death because that blood is where the life was, and that is that blood. It had to go on the altar, and that altar made it go up in smoke, and then the smoke went into his presence. So it was kind of like, it literally says, in the face of Yahweh. So you were represented through that offering because it was put on the altar. So the life had to be brought near. Again, Matthew twenty two thirty two. if you want to reference what I just said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not God of the dead, but of the living. 
So these things that were brought to put on the altar were called korbanot, plural, korbanot, from the word korban or karav, which means something that is brought near. We call, them, we call the korban sacrifices. Even this, how we translate that, sacrifices, I mean, that kind of doesn't really give it justice because we think, you know, sacrifice means uh, God's not happy unless I'm miserable. I have to sacrifice something, you know, to make him happy. And that was never the point. The point was to be brought near to him. So this word korban is something that is brought near. And we call them sacrifices because they did offer their life and they did go on the altar, right? So again, it is a drawing near that is the emphasis. What was the point of atonement? So that we could be in the presence of a holy God. And so that we could live with him. It has to be atonement that is provided so we can live with him. So in order to approach and be brought near, there had to be atonement. And we find some of this process given, like we said, in Leviticus chapter 16. Okay, Leviticus chapter 16. One of the first things we find is that Aaron had to make an offering for himself. He had to make a burnt offering for himself. And he had to repent and to be clean before he could go and fulfill his requirements for the rest of Israel. Now, notice before he could make this offering, he had to make repentance if need be. And that's something that, that is stressed when we go through Leviticus, when we go through the Torah portions. We find that repentance had to be done before these offerings were brought, if it was like a sin offering. Because, you know, there were more than sin offerings, right? So it's not just, oh, I bring this offering, and this offering means I repent. Okay, but if you don't actually repent, <laughs> you, you missed it. Okay, the repentance was vital to the bringing of the offering. And same thing with us. If we don't repent, will there really be forgiveness? Right? So that's what we're looking at. Now, why was it important for Aaron, who had to go in and make these offerings on behalf of all Israel, uh, provided for all the people, why was it important for him to first make sure that he had repented, asked for forgiveness, and that he was atoned for? Because we also find in Leviticus chapter 4, it says that if the high priest sins, he brings guilt on all the congregation. So if the high priest sinned, he brought guilt on all Israel. Now think about that for a second. If the high priest goes into the most holy place and because of sin he couldn't complete his, his responsibilities in there, he brought guilt on everyone. Now think of that in the aspect of Yeshua as our high priest. Why is it important to know that he did not sin? Because if he had sinned, then he would have brought guilt not just on all Israel. He would have brought guilt on everything that was under his authority, which was everything. <laughs> Because he created all things, right? So by, by him, we have to make sure that we are following him, right? So then he had to mikvah. You're familiar with the term baptism, right? That's not a new thing that we find just in the New Testament. All of a sudden, baptism is a new thing. They're called mikvahs through Scripture, okay? And we see them, you know, all over the place where, where someone who had immersed because of repentance or because of uncleanness or because of something in their life, they immersed, they went through the water. Matter of fact, that was uh, symbolic when Israel came out of Egypt and went through. They went through the water. We read, and, and I believe it's Hebrews, where it says they were immersed into Moshe. How so? Because it was a transition. It was a change. And so the mikvah was given as a transition. It was given to show a change was taking place. So there was repentance. Then there was a mikvah. So you repent and be baptized. So when Yohanan came, when John came and he says, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is, is near, this was not a new thing to them. 
It's something they were familiar with. Matter of fact, that's why when you go to Jerusalem and you're going up to the Temple Mount, you find mikvah pools around the Temple Mount. You know why? So that before someone would go up to worship, they would mikvah and then continue going up. Hmm. So that when they went up, they would be clean. It's not, it wasn't just an issue of like, okay, got to take a bath. That wasn't the point. Because before you would mikvah, there had to be a change of heart. There had to be a confession of something to go, to go through. And that's why the mikvahs, they had people there too. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, that before, like you bring your offering and there was someone there. What type of offering are you bringing? What are you bringing this for? I mean, there were people asking because one, they had to know what you were planning to do here. And then further, they needed to know what they were doing with it. Right? So again, as you went up and what happens is we end up making a, a confession of our sin and, or a confession of our joy, or a confession of whatever it is, and then we continue on with worship. Hmm. So, so Aaron, he had the mikvah, and he put on the linen garments. What kind of linen garments? The plain white linen garments. He took off the garments that were made for glory and splendor, those garments that were for majesty, and he put on the plain white linen garments, just like all the rest of the priests. Does that make you think of the scripture where it talks of Yeshua, where it says he emptied himself of glory to become like we are? He emptied himself as royal clothing, and he clothed himself with flesh. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So for the Yom Kippur service, um, Aaron, he had to take two goats. And then they cast lots over them to determine one was for Yahweh, and the other one they said for Azazel. I don't ascribe to the thing of Azazel being a demon. Um, Azazel literally is a compound word, means the goat that goes away. What do they do with it? They send it away. <laughs> and to make sure it doesn't return, they always took it over to an area where there was like a cliff and everything, and they kind of, to make sure it wouldn't come back. <laughs> and it went away. And it stayed away. <laughs> right? I don't believe they were making sacrifices to a, to a different demon because God said so. I don't, th- I, don't, I don't think so. But anyway, what they were doing is, is one was for Yahweh, the other one was for Azazel, the goat that was to go away, and there was a different purpose for each of them. Okay? So Aaron, he first offered the bull as the sin offering for himself. And then he went in and he offered incense. And then he took the blood of the bull and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. So how many times did he just go in? Once. And then he has to come out and finish the job. See, so that's why I said he went back and forth and in multiple times during that day. It wasn't just one time in this one day he goes in. In that day, there were multiple times he went in back and forth to make atonement for specific things. So he, then he offered the ram, and he sprinkled its blood on the mercy seat. Then he made atonement uh, through the blood, through the altar, for the holy place. Again, like we said, did the holy place sin? Did the tabernacle sin? No. So why would he have to make atonement for them? Because of uncleanness. Okay. So he shall put both of his hands on the goat's head and do what with it? Confess over it. Interesting, the word kafar, if you look in the Paleo-Hebrew, it's uh, the hand, the mouth, and the head. So what do, they do, what do they do with the goats to provide atonement for a covering? He takes his hand, lays it on the head of the goat, and he makes a confession. Interesting, right? So that's involving us making a confession. A confession of what? Sin. Uncleanness. Areas that we have erred or strayed, and areas where we have transgressed. So he confesses over it all the sins, evils, and rebellions of the people of Israel. So to transfer them to the goat's head, then the goat is to be driven off in the desert by someone appointed to do it. 
when they brought certain offerings, there were some of the offerings that a person laid their hands on and they spoke over it. It's kind of making an investment into, into uh, this animal, making an acknowledgement of something, which is one of the reasons why I tell you, be careful who you let lay hands on you. Just saying, something does happen there. Okay? Otherwise, you know, Yahweh wouldn't have said anything about it. So Aaron now, he does a mikvah. Did he already do that? Yeah, he does it again. <laughs> so Aaron now does a mikvah, and he offers on the altar the fat of the bull and the ram. And the one who took the ram into the wilderness, he does a mikvah. Interesting to note that everyone involved in the service, they're having to mikvah because of uncleanness. Kind of like the ashes of the red heifer. They, they sprinkled with the ashes of the red heifer to make someone clean who was unclean, but yet everyone involved in the process of making it became unclean. Kind of sounding like Isaiah 53, isn't it? So then uh, the remains of the bull and the ram are taken outside the camp, and then they're burned, and the one who burns them will mikvah and then return to the camp. Why all the mikvahs? Uncleanness. <laughs> right? Leviticus 16.32. So the Kohen who is anointed and who is consecrated to be Kohen in his father's place, he shall make atonement and shall put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the Kohenim and for all the people of the assembly. You see a few different things in there, don't you? different things that are that are, atonement is being provided for leviticus 16 33 i'm going to back up i'm going to show you this so the priest who, who shall be anointed what's the word for anointed mashiach is the one who was anointed mashiach is one who was anointed so the mashiach who is consecrated what's consecrated to accomplish to fulfill something to be priest in his father's stead so he, the one who was anointed to be the priest for his father he is the one who's going to make atonement what does this allude to what does it sound like? Yeshua. So there, uh, 34. This shall be an everlasting statute for you because atonement is provided for you for how long? It's an everlasting statute for you. So then why did it need to be done once a year? To provide for uncleanness and everything. And, and think about this. Cycles of things, guys. Because there are things we forget. And things that we need reminders of. So we need to be reminded. And further, how are we going to teach our children if they never get to experience it or see it either? Right? So you are to make atonement for the children of Israel once in the year because of all their sins, and it was done as Yahweh had commanded Moshe. Zechariah 13.1 says, In that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for what? Sin and uncleanness. So why would there have to be a fountain opened up? Because, notice, a fountain? What's, what is a fountain for? Water, right? Water. What do you do with the water? Wash. <laughs> Cleansing. So this fountain was opened up, not just for sin, not just for uncleanness, but for both. And again, this, I believe this is testifying of Yeshua. I believe he's that fountain. Fountain. So being atoned for is this. So we can be brought near or brought into the presence of the Father through Yeshua, our Messiah. And because atonement has been provided for us, we can live equipped to fulfill the way he wants us to walk. It's like confidently knowing we are who he says we are. What the joy is in that, guys? I mean, that's, that's amazing to know that atonement has been provided for you. You can't do it yourself, but he's done it all. And so now all we have to do is to rest in the fact that he's done that. If we've erred, repent and move. Scripture says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he? Yeah, that's the key. To fall seven times means you had to keep getting up seven times. Right? So you get up the first time and stayed down, there wouldn't be a second. So you keep getting up, like riding a bike. How many, how many times does it take you to ride a bike? You, you, you fall a few times, right? 
you get a few bumps, knocks and bruises. And then you don't do that anymore as much as you can. <laughs> Sometimes it's not your fault, you know. But even just like that, when you're riding a bike in the road, did you notice that you go where you look? If you're focusing on these potholes in the road, what are you going to hit? You're going to hit the potholes. So in our life, as we're walking in the way and walking in the path the Father has us on, don't focus on the potholes. Focus on the road. Continue to walk in the ways of life that he's given us because that's where the atonement has been provided for us, to walk in his ways, right? Now, to go along with atonement being provided and all the talk of mikvahs, I want to I bring up something regarding mikvah for us as well. It is not a bad idea in preparation for Yom Kippur, first off, to, to stop and look at ourselves first and foremost, to try to search ourselves, to see if there's anything that needs to change or to see if there's anything that repentance needs to be made of, if, and not just between us and the Father, but us and others, to look and see how this fits. And then a mikvah is not a bad idea. Because, again, we find this all throughout uh, the Scripture. Uh, there were those, they would have to mikvah before they would go up to the temple to pray or to worship, or they would have to mikvah to go up. There were those who would mikvah every day. Doesn't mean you have to, but there were those that did. Again, why? Because that's what was on their heart. I must be clean before the Father. So they would mikvah before they do that. Okay? So before Yom Kippur... Let's make sure our hearts are right. Let's confess any sins that we, may that we may consider that's brought up to us. And I'm pretty sure, guys, if you're honest with yourself and you say, Father, show me where I'm in error, he'll do it. He'll do it. If you mean it, he'll do it. The thing is, we don't always want to hear it because he'll use the others to show us. If, we, if we're asking, be careful what you're asking. Did you ever notice before the Moedim, everything seems to go... You know why? To show you what needs to be fixed. Because how would we know to repent if we, do, if we don't see it? Okay? So when things happen, just take it in stride. If repentance is needed, do it and keep walking. Move on. Make the changes and move on. All right? So what's the deal with the mikvah? What is a mikvah, first off? The word mikvah is from the word kavah. Okay? Mikvah means something that is waited for or a confidence of something. Wow, that's something. It means a gathering of water, but also means confidence in something. What does that tell us? That as we immerse and we come through, we can have confidence in what he declared toward us. And again, it's not the water that has some kind of mystical or magical thing to do anything. It's our obedience to what the Father is saying. He said, this is how I want you to do this. And our hearts follow through. Okay? Kava is a root for mikvah. Kava is a root. And it means to bind together. Isn't it interesting that, that the idea of a mikvah means to be bound together, to gather together, gather. Hmm. What is a mikvah? It's a gathering of water. The first time mikvah is used in the scripture is in regard to Bereshit 1, Genesis 1, verse 10. God called the, the dry land earth and the gathering together of the water he called the seas and God saw that it was good. The gathering together is the word mikvah. Gathering together of what? Water. So this is why we call it a mikvah. It's not the, the act of going through, it's the water itself, literally, is what we're calling it. Okay, we're acknowledging the water. Mikvah is also used in Leviticus 11.36, where it says, a fountain or a pit where there is plenty of water shall be clean. Again, the idea of a fountain or a gathering together of a water, 
the idea is living water, something that is flowing and it is a gathering of water. I mean, you know if water sits in a cistern long enough, it ain't going to be clean. So the idea of water, it's, it's living water, it's flowing, it has a flow to it, so there's a source coming in, a source going out, right? So, but yet it's a gathering together. So a mikvah is a gathering that is living, it's alive. We see uh, people were told to go wash, they were told to go do what? Mikvah. And after that, they were clean. Now this is a ritual cleanness, okay? This is something, it was a ritual, it was a ritual state of being, to be clean is the reason why it was there. And what was the importance of being declared clean? Now you could go worship. Now you could go to the temple. Now you could bring your offerings. Now you could do all these things that you desired to do. So who did a mikvah? Well, everybody. I mean, if you, if you wanted to go and worship, at some point you did a mikvah because that's the way it was done. All right? Again, we're talking about the Father saying how we come in his presence. When we come before him, clean. All right, Matthew 3. It was during those days that Yohanan the Immerser arrived in the desert of Yehuda, and he began proclaiming the message, turn from your sins to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So before he would immerse, what was the message? Repent. Teshuvah is a word that's most often used for repentance, and it literally means to return. Well, to return to what? To return to the Father. Teshuvah, shuv, also means to go back home. To repent, go back to the Father's house and his ways. So when we repent, that's what we're doing. Returning from our ways, turning to his. Then people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Yehuda, from the whole region around the Yardin, and they did what? Confessed their sins, and then they were immersed by him in the Yardin River. He says, repent. They came forward, they confessed their sins, and then they were, then they were immersed. Was this new? No. This is, this is what they did, because this is how they understood it. In order to be declared clean, you can't hold on to uncleanness and be considered clean. Well, Yeshua says it's the issues of heart, isn't it? But you can hold on to things in your heart that you shouldn't hold a grudge and do all these things and not be clean. Not everyone will see it, but the Father will know. So to be cleansed, we have to make confession. We have to confess our sin. Then repent and be immersed. And that's what they did. Mikvah is a, is a Hebrew service for cleansing or from unclean and sin. Baptism, again, wasn't new in Yeshua's day. Okay? We, we have been taught this because we didn't know what to look for. The problem is a lot of times when we look uh, for certain words or certain phrases that we're used to hearing something because we don't see it in the exact wording, we think it didn't exist before. But we don't know what we're looking for. <laughs> right? They were familiar with cleansing. They were familiar with mikvahs and being ritually clean. Why? Because that's how you went to the tabernacle. That's how you went to the temple. That's how you went to go worship. So before a mikvah, what would they have to do? They first had to look at themselves. They first had to take a look within themselves and find if there's any sin. And then, and then the, this is kind of the thing we have a hard part with as well. Also thinking of the sins of our forefathers. We find scripture where it talks about where we have repented for our sins and the sins of our forefathers. How can you repent for the sins that you don't know what they are? And again, this is where it comes into trusting the Father. And if he brings something to the mind for you to repent, you're like, well, I've never done that. Maybe it's in the blood somewhere. Because what do we talk about as we read through the Scripture, generational cursings, generational blessings, these things that follow through families. You ever notice certain families have certain problems? Sometimes it's just a matter of transgression. Sometimes it's learned behavior, okay? But sometimes it could be more. 
They say it's not just like one given, this is the way it is all the time. But, you know, there's a lot of things involved in it. So it's never a bad idea to first stop and say, Father, is there anything in my life that I need to change? It's never a bad idea to start there. And if not, great. Keep moving on. And if so, repent so that you can keep moving on. And if he's bringing something up for the, from the past or from the forefathers or from things like that, things that you may have seen maybe your parents do. Because a lot of times we'll make vows and oaths based on what other people have done. You ever notice that? Well, I will never be like them. And we're, and we're saying so because of hurt or offense or pride or anger or whatever. But we've got to be careful with stuff like that. Okay, the Torah shows us what sin is, right? And it shows us what unclean is. And it shows us the difference between them. I mean, don't, don't we see over and over throughout the Torah that the people of Yah are to learn and discern the differences between clean and unclean and holy and common. That's why we, when we go through the Torah, we're looking for these things. So that we can discern the clean, the unclean, and the holy, and the common. Why? Because that shows us how to live. It shows us the heart of the Father. He says you're to be a holy people. What does that look like? Right? Okay. So the mikvah was done when? After repentance. It's not like, okay, so you're going to go mikvah, you're going to be down in the water, and when you're good and repented, we'll pull you up. It doesn't work that way. And furthermore, a mikvah, you did not have a person there holding you under. You know, we think we're tra uh, traditionally a baptism is somebody holding somebody else and putting them under. It wasn't done that way. Well, then why was John there? To make a declaration, <laughs> to be a witness that it was done. Okay? A mikvah was done with you and you alone, you yourself. You did it, okay? But there were witnesses there so to testify that it had been done. So the mikvah was given after repentance, and it grants us the opportunity to turn away from our former ways, right? We choose a deeper, more whole relationship with Yahweh. Now, here's the thing. Don't blame your relatives for what's happening in your life. I know that's hard, okay? It is. But this is on you, because you are the only one accountable for your life. When you stand before the Father, it's just you and Him. Now, that's not to mean that other things that have been done to you is right. Because there are some things that are beyond your control, especially when you're a kid. But at some point, you grow up and you take responsibility for your life. And you have to make the changes that need to be made. It doesn't mean you can make the past different. And it doesn't mean that things are right in the things that have been done. But it does mean that your life is not in the past. That you're going to trust Yah and that you can live now and stepping forward in the things that he's desiring for you. That is up to you, okay? Because I know there's a lot of injustice. I know there's a lot of wrong. But when it comes down to it, there's no way you can stand before the Father and point at somebody else and say, it's their fault that I'm miserable. At some point, you have to move on. At some point, you have to accept that your life is your life. Don't let anybody rule your life except for Yah including the people who may have hurt you. Forgiveness. Okay. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and what? Forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We find Yeshua talking to his Talmudim saying the similar kind of thing. Because if you don't forgive... Right? So we have to forgive. And again, the problem is, we think if I say I forgive, then I'm saying that, that what happened is okay. That's not the case. By saying that I forgive doesn't mean that it's okay. 
But what it means is that's not going to control you anymore. First, we have to learn to forgive ourselves. How true is that? First, we have to learn to forgive ourselves because we tend to beat ourselves up for things and, and we just continue to beat ourselves up for stuff. And as long as we're doing that, we're not going to be able to move forward because we can't look up if we're constantly beating ourselves down lower into the ground. So you have to be able to look up and you have to learn to forgive yourself. I made a mistake, I hurt someone, someone hurt me, something. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. Because here's the thing are we saying that Yah can forgive everything except for me? It's a lie. He can forgive everyone, as long as they're willing to seek it. And to say that God cannot forgive me is to say his arm is too short. He's not that strong. By saying he can forgive me is truly saying he can forgive anyone. You know, because it's like, yeah, but you don't know what I did. <laughs> you don't know what I did. So stop making those kind of judgments against me and yourself. Repent so that you can be forgiven. So first we have to forgive ourselves. Once we find that place where we can receive forgiveness, then we can learn to forgive others. You know, one of, the, one of the hard problems that we have with forgiving others, we haven't learned how to receive forgiveness. Because how can you give something you haven't received? How can you give something you haven't truly experienced? You can't give what you don't have, right? So first, we forgive ourselves, then we can forgive everyone who hurt us. And that is physically, spiritually, and emotionally. That's hard. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend it's easy. It's hard. But that's what needs to happen. Look, so there's many different areas and many different things you can come to this. This is just one of many, all right? But in uh, Jewish tradition, it talks about the different stages of forgiveness. So this is what I'm going to share with you. There's a process to forgive others. First off, the process starts with this. Shlicha, mechila, kapara. Shlicha is forgiveness. Mechila is to letting go. And kapara is atonement. Shlicha can also mean, like forgiveness also means like, excuse me. Like if you were uh, in Israel, you're trying to get through in a crowd, slicha is what you would be saying, you know, as you're like pushing people aside. You know. <laughs> so slicha, forgiveness, mechila, letting go, and kapara, atonement, all right? Forgiveness starts with the intent to forgive. Forgiveness starts with the intent to forgive. But if the process stops there, it doesn't finish anything. You say, well, yeah, I probably should forgive them, but you don't actually do it, you don't finish the process, right? But if the process continues, if, if not, then you have feelings of what? It says it up here. What do you have? Guilt, resentment, all these things will appear back when you say, oh, I thought I forgave them. Maybe you do, you, you do think you forgave them, but if you're still feeling anger and resentment in these things, let me put it to you this way. Most of us have somebody in our life where all I have to do is say the name, and you start... Right, like a dog on a leash, you're ready to go, man. You know what that means? <laughs> we need to practice this. Truth, right? Because if we're having those anger and those feelings and that resentment and those things keep coming up in us, we're not whole there yet. And so sometimes that, that's still part of a process, okay? I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it can be done overnight. But I'm saying it's something that we do need to be aware of. Letting go. And here's the hard part. So we say we forgive, but letting go. You know the whole idea of forgive and forget? That's not in Scripture. Huh? What? You mean I don't have to forget? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Because the idea is God says he will forgive you and not remember your sins anymore. 
There's a difference between him not remembering your sins anymore and forgetting them. Well, it sounds the same. But to not remember them, again, we're talking biblically speaking, means he will no longer act on behalf of. So he says that he will forgive you and no longer act on behalf of your sin. In other words, you know all those things that we read about when we're reading Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28? There's things where if we're unrepentant and we, and we don't care what God says, we go do our own thing, we walk contrary to Him, all those things in our life that He says will happen. When we repent, He says He will no longer act on behalf of our sin. In other words, He will act on behalf of our atonement. Okay? So this letting go is something that we need, to, we need to practice as well. Letting go means this. I no longer need the past to have been different than what it was. A lot of times we go back and we continue to revisit things in our past. Man, if this only could have been this way. If it only had happened that way. But it didn't. And we can't change it. So we have to learn to go from this point forward. So we're not saying that it's okay. We're not saying that it was right. But what we're saying is it should not rule your life. Because if we're letting these things rule our life, we're not letting Yah rule our life. It means I no longer need the past to have been different than it was at this stage. You may remember pain, but you're no longer consumed with either guilt or resentment. You can remember and say, yeah, that hurt, but you don't feel like that anymore. You can acknowledge it was there. You can acknowledge it existed. You can acknowledge it was a real thing. But when you start talking about it, your fists don't clench. (laughs) Right? With atonement, then you can accomplish something positive that otherwise would not have been possible. You still remember you may still feel the pain, but because atonement, it can transform that pain into a blessing. And all this information was given by Rabbi Ted Falcon, PhD. So this is a matter of one process of many, okay? But this is just an idea to be able to help us with forgiveness. Because a lot of times we say, Yahweh, forgive me. But then we have a hard time going to one another and saying, I want you to forgive me. And then we have a hard time offering forgiveness, Someone comes to us and they say, forgive me. You're like, why? You ain't going to change. What are we doing? <laughs> right? So a mikvah. Ideally, a river, some type of a lake, some type of a something, an ocean, you know, something. Okay? You could use a pool. If none of this is available to you, the question is, can you do a mikvah at home? You have a bathtub? You don't even got nothing else. Use what you got. Because isn't that a lot of the way we do a lot of the word? I mean, think about it, guys. We do the best we can with what we got. The best that is available to us. Put some water in the tub, water coming in, water going out. Do it, do it however you have to do it. The point is, just do it, okay? Because, and, and when, you, when you do something like this, a lot of times it's a good idea. If you're going to shower, cleanse, whatever, do that first because you don't want to, like, mix up what you're doing here. A mikvah wasn't like, I'm going to mikvah, I got my soap. <laughs> okay, you're not just getting the dirt off. Okay, a mikvah was a confession of sin and immersion through the water, right? So after the cleansing, this is one of the things that I'm just giving some, some uh, practical advice. Fill your bathtub with some, with some water, get in, turn on the shower, let the water start to drain while you still have the water running. So you have water coming in, water going out, mikvah. However you need to do it, guys. That's the point I'm getting at. A lot of times we make things too difficult, you know? Unless I can go mikvah in the Jordan River, I'm not going to go mikvah. You don't have to go. If you're really a stickler for it, go down to Lithia Springs. You know, the advantage of there is it's the same temperature all year round. <laughs> right? Okay. One more thing. We cover Yom Kippur. 
covered mikvah, and I want to throw in something called tashlik. And I'm not telling you you have to do this. I just want to point this out for you. Okay? Tashlik is one of the things that uh, many people do. A lot of Orthodox will do uh, tashlik before uh, Yom Kippur. Why and what is it? All right. Micah 7, 18 and 19. It says, So who is a God like unto you who pardons iniquity, who passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever and ever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us, and he will subdue our iniquities, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So a lot of people, what they'll do, they'll go and um, they'll take rocks or throw them out into the water. They sink, and, you know, casting it to the depths of the sea. Some will go out with bread and feed the fish. You know, the idea is, you know, however way, it's not there anymore. You know, it's gone, and it'll go off into the depths. But sometimes we have pictures that show us what God's trying to tell us. You know, a lot of times we can talk about things, we may not get it, but if you see it, we'll understand. And there are some things that are given in the Scripture that are like that. It's not a bad thing. I mean, what's one example? I can grab them. Where are they? (laughs) Tzitzit. What are they? Reminders of what? That we follow His Word, that we don't follow our own ways. Right? Okay. Tashlik, Micah 7, 19. Again, he says he will turn again. He will compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins to the depths of the sea. That word is tashlik from the word shalak. Tashlik is to cast, to throw out, to send forth, right? Um, matter of fact, the, uh, the apostles, they were sent out. The word is shaliach. Shaliach are ones who were sent out. It's the same root word, okay? To send out, to send forth. Here's, a, here's something else. What's a gathering of water used for? Mikvah, cleansing to making pure of something, right? So what's the casting out and what's the water got to do with it? 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, doing what? Casting your care on him because he cares for you. Can't we see a, a picture somewhat of what we're going through here for Yom Kippur? Humble yourselves. How are we humbling ourselves? Reflecting ourselves. We're humbling ourselves before the Lord and casting all of our care on him casting all of our cares, the things of this world, the things that upset us, the things that hold us back. That's our sin. Those are the things that we're casting. So casting out to him, because he does care for us. He's, he can deal with them, right? <laughs> Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. You shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on him, and he will sustain you. How many of us do that? God, I, I got this problem, and I just want you to take it. Are you done with that yet? Let me just take another look at that. Does that need turned over? <laughs> right? Our Heavenly Father desires to bring us closer. That's always been the case. Okay? He has always sought to bring us closer to Him. He wants us to come into unity of heart with who? Well, obviously with Him, but also each other. What was the prayer that Yeshua gave in John 17? Father, I pray that they are one like you and I are one. Not just so that they are one with the Father, but they are one with each other as well. Totally one. Echad. Right? But it all starts how? Repentance, forgiveness. How do we learn to start to be one with one another? Start learning to dwell together. Gam yachad, right? Psalm 33, 13. So Adonai looks out from heaven. He sees every human being. From the place where he lives, he watches everyone living on earth. He who, check this out, fashioned the hearts of them and understands all they do. Wow. That's pretty neat, right? A little more so when you look at it in Hebrew. 
says, he who fashioned the hearts of them all and understands all they do. Okay, let me go up here so I can see it, so I can read it. So here, what's yachad? What's echad? So yachad is one, gathering the other, unify one. Yotzer is to fashion. Uh, you may have heard this, the phrase yotzer ra, yotzer tov. It is the inclination or a fashioning of something. Okay? Levam is to their heart. Lev is heart, levam, their hearts. All right? And then hamavin is discerning. Mavin is to understand. All right? Elkol, elkol is to all. May I say him? The works. Now, look at this. Literally what this reads is he fashions their hearts alike. Isn't that cool? He fashions their hearts. It's not just he fashioned the hearts of them all. He fashions their hearts alike. And we start reading the scriptures where it says that he will take out the stony heart and he will give you a heart of flesh and he will give you his heart. He will give you his spirit so that we can walk in his word and walk in his ways and do these things. Well, if he's giving us one heart, wouldn't it make the sense that we would get along? <laughs> it says, and he considers all their deeds. Asa is the last word there. It means things that you do to do something. So he considers all of their deeds. So again, he fashions together their hearts. That's a testimony that he has for us. And we find different places in Scripture where he fashioned their hearts together. Joshua 9.2 says, They gathered themselves together to fight uh, with Yehoshua and with Israel with one accord. Not fighting against Joshua, not fighting against Israel, but fighting and standing with. Which, by the way, we need to make sure we're doing. Just saying. Acts 1.14, so they all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. They all continued how? One accord. That's the same thing we're looking at. He fashioned their hearts alike. He fashioned their hearts together. When the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, fully come, they were with one accord in one place. Acts 2.46, continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So uh, Acts 4.24, and they heard, uh, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, you, uh, you are God, and has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. Acts 5.12, by the hands of the uh, apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord. Solomon's porch, where? At the temple. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. So if there is any consolation in the Messiah, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, fulfill my joy, that you be, what? Like-minded. It doesn't mean that we think everything the same, okay? Because unity is not uniformity. Okay, there's a, there's a difference between people coming together in unity as one versus everyone being exactly the same. Because in one, we're st we still have our own personality, we still have our own thoughts, we still have our own ideas, we still have the way that we like to see things, but we know there is a common goal and there is something greater than us that we need to come together for. And we lay down our lives for the sake of what is greater than ours. Okay, So fulfill my joy that you be like-minded having what? The same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain boasting, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. If we could just do that, just that last one. Truly, if we could just do that, this whole world would be a better place. Because we tend, it's hard to look down on someone you think is better than you. And it doesn't mean that, oh, they're better than me. No, I'm just saying giving honor, giving respect. If we, if we strive to do that, we're not looking down on anyone. We all have a part and, and roles within the body to serve, to do. 
doesn't mean anyone's better than anybody else. doesn't mean anyone's worse than anyone else. We're all just His people, and we're just trying to do what He wants us to do. Let's just learn to do it in unity. You know? Verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. Look to the hearts of our brothers. Help bring restoration to those around us. Show the heart of the Father to all. I mean, didn't we, didn't we go over that? Wes, didn't you cover that a while back? It says to do good to all, especially to the household of faith. To do good to all. Not to do good to those you agree with. To do good to all, but especially your brothers. Right? All right, Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of the Messiah, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in, what? One spirit and one mind doing what? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. That should be what we're doing. That should be how we're serving. That should be how we should be bringing honor to the Father in these days that we're in. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 10. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord Yeshua Mashiach. I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given by Yeshua, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as a testimony of Yeshua was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Yeshua Mashiach, who also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Yeshua Mashiach. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Yeshua our Lord. Verse 10. Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the name of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, that you all, what? Speak the same thing. And that there be no, what? Divisions among you. But that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. That's the heart of the Father. And I don't think that in the eternity, you know, in the Ha'olam and the eternity in the days to come, I don't think he's going to be like, Okay, well, you guys get your own little piece over here, and you never have to talk to them, and you get your piece, and you never have to talk to them. Because we find things like, in the new heavens and the new earth, which he shall make, all flesh shall come and worship before him. From Rosh Hadesh, Shabbat, even during Shukot, all flesh. That means at some point we're all going to see some, you know, everyone. Let's learn to receive the heart of the Father now. And learn that we can walk in his ways, and we don't have to agree, but yet we could still work in the same mind. We could still work in the same heart. Amen?